1: Welcome to the Star Wars Film Festival, where the Lorehounds, your guides to a galaxy far, far away. I'm David.
2: I'm John, and this is our coverage. Of the 2018 film, Solo, A Star Wars Story.
1: In this podcast, we're going to be discussing the movie's production and plot, followed by a discussion on the state of Star Wars, and a ton of listener feedback, including stuff from Ahsoka and Return of the Jedi, a whole lot of big,
2: big Return of right. the Jedi? Well, no, Wait a it's minute. The Revenge of the Sith God, is the opposite I know, faction. What is
1: wrong with me? My <laughs> 77 brain just is stuck in the... Anyway.
2: That's all right. Be sure to stick around to the end of the podcast, too, for programming notes about our podcasting schedule for the rest of the year. We can say that now.
1: What the hell is going on? It's the end of the year. Anyway, uh, for early and ad-free access and exclusive content, visit us at patreon.com slash the lorehounds. Also, if you'd like to give us a leg up, you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Ratings and reviews help people find your podcast, even on the outer
2: rim. I should have changed it, even to to, to even on the Thessal run.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, K- Thessal,
2: Castle. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying for things. you. They're coming. I'm just for saying you. things. Don't at me. Don't I see the. I see can't the pitchforks and anymore. the torches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We do love to respond to your questions, thoughts, and theories on air, even if they come with pitchforks. So send us feedback for the next episode
1: send emails to star wars at the lorehounds.com or head over to our website. And there you can use the nifty voicemail feature or the contact form, or you can post a message in our discord server and we can include those conversations as well. We've got a links in the show notes. We've got a fun and engaging community there. And we've got channels for the book projects we're doing and general television chat, a whole dedicated star Wars channel, Uh, so join us there. It's a lot of fun.
2: Well, David, I think we are in an appropriately punchy mood for this movie (laughs) because this movie is throwing punches all day. Mm -hmm. That's the whole vibe of the movie. So, uh, you know, we've, I think people by now, I have this bullet point in our, in our outline, the brief star Wars personal histories. I think people know by now we are, uh, light lore fans, right? right? We, we've watched some of the animation stuff, uh, we know a decent amount, but certainly not everything. So if you hear us say something wrong, or you want to add some context or depth to something, we say, yeah, yeah. All right, Kessel, we got it. <laughs> you don't need to write that one in. Um, give it, feel free to just write that in. That's totally fine. Anyway, let's do our overall impressions of this film. David, you're first. You know,
1: it is not... A film. I don't want to say for me. That's not the right way to say that. I'm glad that this film exists in the Star Wars universe, and I know there's a, a lot of people who really enjoy it. I, I think it's good that we have a little bit more wink and a tongue and cheek style, you know, movie uh, in there. Even though it's a little bit adulty, um, in in some regards, you know, there's some. Uh, scenes of you know violence and exploitation and other other f- uh, fun adult themes like that but it is a little bit more of a uh, roly-poly uh, show and it was i think i described it this way when we did our live watch which is a patreon exclusive that we're, we're doing right now for all the star wars films it's two hours and 15 minutes of fan service and i don't want that to be a negative comment but that's it, it's just packed full of fan service stuff and the origin stories of things and why the millennium falcon has a you know a, a navigate you know a, ch- a cheeky navigation system and uh all of these kinds of things and so i don't yeah it it's fine it's fine for what it is it is what it is and i don't think it's trying to be more than what it is and i think accepting it on those terms, cool, right? It's like the Marvels. You know, we just saw the Marvels the other day. We just recorded a big podcast about it. It it is what it is. It's a fun, goofy movie. It's throwing some punches. It it, it does a little bit of emotional work here and there. sets up some characters for some stuff, and it was great. It was a good time in the theater. And so I think Solo sort of fits in that box, I think, for me. Sure, sure.
2: Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I mean, I think... For me, I have to compare the two times I've seen it now. So I saw it first when it came out. I saw it in theaters. I was fresh off the you know the first two Star Wars movies of the new sequel trilogy. Right. And I really liked The Last Jedi, you'll recall. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty hot on Star Wars at the time, but still a very casual fan. I really enjoyed The, the, the Last Jedi. I paid twice to go see it in the theaters. I, I willingly went back a second time because I liked it that much.
1: I'm not saying anything,
2: <laughs> and it's fine. a it damn word. <laughs> so I, I think, I think I even brought my wife to go see Solo with me, and I think we both were like, that was a fun movie, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, for people not really interested in the deeper lore of Star Wars at the time. I think we both had a good time with it, and looking okay. back, I had fond memories of it, and I watched it this time, and it held up. I have to say, I, I thought I was going to be a little bit more jaded about it and things like that. I I honestly my biggest critique of it is that there's too many action scenes that lack emotional reasons mm-hmm. but that is my only critique of it and th- well, well that and the fact that everything has a very specific reason like the backstory everything has a very specific reason yeah. you really needed him to get the name Solo from an Imperial. Okay, there's a few cutesy things like that that I didn't right. like but other than that I thought that the main emotional arc worked. I liked Han, you know, growing up in the rough and tumble of Corellia and trying to trying to be the scoundrel. Mm -hmm. But deep down, even Kira sees right right to the heart of him and goes, buddy, you're the good guy. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just who you are. And I think that that really cut through to Han's character. So I thought that they did a great job doing his characterization. I really liked Kira. I liked Amelia Clark as Kira. Um, I, I liked Woody Harrelson. I barely recognized him at first because he wasn't doing a bit part. And <laughs> I'm just so used to him from like White House Plumbers just doing this gravelly voice. Right, right. But I I really enjoyed uh, uh, Woody Harrelson. I thought that uh, having the nod to Han shot first and actually having him do it this time for real was <laughs> yeah, amazing. Right. So there's uh-huh. a lot of those like, oh, yeah, moments. Uh, the thing that I mourn the most for this movie is what could have been, mm-hmm. because I think that this was a great movie to start the syndicate verse to start a series of movies or TV shows that followed the Huts, the the Huts, Crimson Dawn, Crimson Dawn. You've got the Pike syndicate was Mm -hmm. mentioned. You've got plenty of crime families. We could have had live action mall back. You know, he was back for a minute in here. What a wasted opportunity. Completely. I think Kira would have been a great character for us to see that crime syndicate through the eyes of.
1: And And we just, it's a great hook at the end, and then it just never goes anywhere.
2: Right. And I think that if the movie had done better at the box office, it would have gone somewhere.
1: So as you're saying that, I think that's really interesting. It's an an interesting set of points. And what it makes me think of is, this was a long movie, two hours and 15 minutes. Yeah. If this had been a, a tight hour and a half, and we didn't go from here to there and the other thing. If we had just done a simple two-step heist, right? You know, okay, so he gets off Corellia. Uh, they do the initial heist. It goes bust. They do then the main heist. And that, that's sort of it. And they didn't go off into this whole, into all these these other things, if they'd kept it really tight, because then there's that whole middle bit where they, you know, uh, release all the droids and, and do all that stuff. If this was just a really tight movie with Han Solo doing a couple of key things, and then you left a hook, and I think if so, so it was overburdened with plot, but then I think it was overburdened from studio expectations. If the studio hadn't expected it to carry so much weight, we could have gotten two or three more of these hour and a half light movies, punch, 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 show us the syndicate, show us Han doing more stuff, show you know, and, and, and keep doing these Star Wars stories in a really much narrower story frame and keep the plots much more simple. I, th- I think that would have been a really rich universe and we could have had three or four or five films even by then, by now.
2: You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I think you cut out a lot of the necessary action in this movie, and it's a really, really, really good movie. I, but I think as yeah, is... I agree. It's, I agree. It's about an 8 out of 10 for me, as is. Okay. And I I really liked it, and I, I don't want to... With these small critiques, I don't want it to get lost that I really liked this movie. Uh-huh. And I had a great time with it. I thought that Alden... I'm never going to know how to say his last name, so Oh, whatever. yeah, yeah. I can't um, pronounce it. Either. I think Enric. Alden did an amazing job as Han Solo. I think he really captured... Harrison Ford, I saw you and Tulip Blossom going <laughs> back and forth. Is he doing the bit too much? I a didn't think so. Much. I actually really liked the the how much he did it. You know, I thought okay. that he did it just enough where I felt I, like I was seeing the same character, but not so much where I thought he was just doing an impersonation of Harrison Ford.
1: He had the vibe, that that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And then it, it just for me, there was just a little bit too, and it just went into the over- burdening of this movie. We've gotta we've gotta answer the castle run problem. We gotta question, we gotta do the chewy thing. We gotta do this. We gotta get the Millennium frog We gotta get Lando Cowers. Mm-hmm. They packed the entire Han Solo backstory yes. into one movie and it was too much. And so I think yeah. for me it was all a little bit too on the nose. You know what I mean? Sure. The dice, everything. And and it mm-hmm. got it was just thick. It was like one of those, well I know you're a noted cake and uh, So it was like one of those multi-layer cakes, like seven layers of cake, and oh, it's, disgusting! And it's a ton of fondant and a ton of, you Listen know, the
2: second breakfast. If you want to know what David's talking about with me cake
1: and a thick, you know, cake, and so you're just kind of like, oh, this is a burden to eat. I think that's how I felt. I could have really enjoyed this movie if it had been. Just simplified in in a mm-hmm. lot of different ways because there was a lot of really great stuff. Paul Bettany's character was amazing. He was just chewing the scenery. It was it was like off the hook. Amelia Clark, I oh, liked oh the sorry, mor- I,
2: it was Vision, right? Vision Voss. Vision uh, Dryden <coughs> Voss Voss. Uh, yeah, I was saying Vision because he's Vision okay. in uh, the,
1: MCU, <laughs> in the MCU, right? Yeah, but you know, um, Kira's character is really interesting in the moral quandary that she's you know has. You know, there's a lot of great material. I mean, we haven't even talked about Dan, uh, Donald Glover. So there's I a love lot of Donald great-
2: Glover as as Lando. Mm-hmm. He has that, like, arrogant, you know, smugness. I, I love it. Very, very in line with the character. But he also felt like he was playing it a little differently. I think if you thought that Han was playing it too close to uh, Harrison Ford, I think that you were probably, I'm guessing, more pleased with Lando.
1: Yeah. But they didn't so they didn't they didn't have to load Lando up as much as they did Han. Okay. We only had to get, you know, a couple of glimpses uh, of him. Yeah. And and make and just have a couple of key transactions, you know, the the whole card thing. I think it was it was yeah. pretty simple. I liked the
2: card thing a lot. Yeah. I yeah. like I liked him stealing the card from him. I because that really got to the core of what they were trying to tell me with this movie, which is Han is a good guy masquerading as a scoundrel,
1: right. right.
2: And, you know, him him stealing the card to make him play fair is such a good guy mm. pretending to be scoundrel thing. That's such a right. great microcosm of it,
1: right. right. and that 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 chaotic, good nature that Han Solo has, right. And by the time Luke runs into him on Tatooine, He's so jaded and and scuffed and roughed that that's been covered over, and it sort of takes this uh, bigger than life events, you know, saving Leia and getting involved with the lo- the, the Skywalkers. <laughs> the Skywalkers are trouble. Um, getting yep. involved with with all of that to to then push all that dirt and dust away so that we can see underneath. Oh, hey. Yeah, there's a shiny hero underneath here, rather than a uh, an actual bad guy, an actual scoundrel. So yeah, I think in the script they played that well. And when Kira says to him, "Like, dude, you're no, you're not a right. criminal. You're not an right. outlaw. Come on, man." Right. And they needed that that whole thing with um, with uh, Nest uh, with F- FS Nest uh, to. Show us that, rather than just tell us that. But mm-hmm. again, it was just so burdened. The plot was so burdened that I thought it got a little, a sure. little, little
2: sure. silly. Yeah, I think I think my biggest critique is is just too much, too confused in the tone, mm-hmm. um, and to be because of those lengthy like, action scenes. And uh, I think we've done enough overall Im- impressions. I want to <laughs> ask: we really you, getting into the meat of it here. Have yeah. you? Do you know anything about the production of this movie? Zero. Okay.
1: I know Ron Howard was brought in at some point. And uh, yeah, this is, this is, uh, I, I've been on record before about this and this is just more evidence in my queer, you know, I'm, I'm using this as evidence that leadership at Lucasfilms has a problem. I think they're too cautious mm-hmm. and they, they've, how many times have they swapped out directors and how many times have we lost directors and so just knowing that there's a cloud over Solo makes me just go, hmm, see, there is something wrong here. So, see, that's but, what
2: I'm getting at here is that, you know, the tone being confused is largely largely because they reshot 70% of this film.
1: What? 70%?
2: 70% of this film is reshoots.
1: Good Lord. That's expensive as hell, too.
2: So they had these two directors, Lord and Miller, and they were generally known to be comic directors, directors, comedic directors. Sure. Okay. They hired two com- com- comedy directors, and they had them film for a ton of time, and they shot a ton of the movie. Um, they kept pissing off these people because they sent they kept sending the writer, the script, the screenwriter to the set, and the the screenwriter would start barking directions at people. Okay. And trying to like take over. So they they shot most of the film, I believe, and then they showed a. Cut of the film to executives, and the executive says, "This is too funny. This is too much comedy. We don't want this. You're fired. We're bringing in Ron Howard." Uh. and you'll recall Ron Howard was actually asked to direct the Phantom Menace by George Lucas. Uh huh. And so this is this is Ron Howard finally doing his Star Wars movie. Uh, Fun fact: George Lucas apparently came to set for the first day of Ron Howard's filming to encourage him. Okay. And because like he like Ron Howard Ron needs Howard. encouragement. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I guess I guess Lucas was Howard's mentor for some reason. Okay. Which is kind of kind of interesting. But well, yeah, it, I mean, American Graffiti,
1: right? Isn't uh, isn't Ron
2: Howard involved in an American Graffiti? I, I believe so. Yeah. But anyway, so they brought him in. He shot reshot seventy percent of the movie. It was apparently a big disaster. Yeah. Ron Howard they was... had to recast somebody because of scheduling now, and it was it was not great.
1: So yeah, Ron Howard and Harrison Ford were the those were early Lucas right. um, um actor, you know, actors that that found their footing with George Lucas. So in 1973.
2: Right. Okay, I have the recast here. It was actually Michael K Williams mm-hmm. was originally Voss, was originally okay. uh Voss, and then they had to bring in Paul Bettany after the he just could not shoot the movie anymore because they were doing so many reshoots.
1: <laughs> right. I got a, other commitments. I got to follow up on. Yeah. Right.
2: Right. And he was in the wire, I guess he was Omar little in the wire. If you know, who Omar's that is. Omar's coming. So he was yes. going to be boss. He was going to be the crime boss. He
1: would have been a, that would have been a different movie. That would have been a very different yeah. movie. That would yeah. have been interesting.
2: And, and that's he funny did because play him for, I think the whole movie basically. <laughs> and then Ron <laughs> because, Howard was like, Oh
1: Yeah. This is this is a funny movie, though. Yes, it is. So I don't know. It's a very light toned movie. The tone of this movie is very light. Right from the start, when they jump in the cruiser thing, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, this is a Ron Howard movie. Like, I right. forgot the fact that this is a it's Ron Howard movie. It's properly Howard. Yes, it is very properly Howard. Go go listen to Steve and Anthony uh, on our affiliate podcast uh, network. Um When they jump in the speeder, or when you you know, and they're speeding around on Corellia, I I was like, oh right, this is a Ron Howard movie because it instantly hit me that tone. It's a Ron. This is a Ron Howard film, and it it, it's light. It it's the the plot is mechanical and transparent. The twists are uh, uh, very easy to discern, or you you can feel when they're coming, Mm -hmm. even if you don't, if you can't predict the action. So it's solid in that regard, it's solid, right? It's a solid block of entertainment. It tells a coherent story, right. and all the parts, all the gears and parts click together, and the machine works like it's supposed to.
2: I mean, I'll say that. It works well enough that kudos to Ron Howard for making a coherent movie out
1: of this. 70% 70 reshoots? Absolutely.
2: It's insane. Uh, I want to give a quick synopsis here. I've summarized it in one sentence, the entire plot.
1: (laughs) For a two and a half hour movie, two two hour 15 minute movie.
2: Han Solo gets his name, his best buddy Chewie, his signature ship, the Millennium Falcon, and a broken heart in this lighthearted dramedy about Han shooting first. (laughs) Bravo. Thank you, thank you.
1: Bravo. Those are some... I think you you win some bonus internet points there. That is a very tight log line. Yeah, that is.
2: That's the movie. You got the whole thing. You have his origin story.
1: And that's what I was saying before about it being fan servicey and i'm not trying i'm not using that as a pejorative just simply pointing out that this that's this movie is loaded with that and at the same time it did a a bunch of cool world building but then it never went anywhere with the world building
2: so so you have a lot of the syndicate lore building within the clone wars especially a little bit in rebels but more of the clone wars And I really wish they had gone somewhere with that, because I think that's so cool. Mm -hmm. I think it's so interesting to say, like, okay, sure, you have the Empire, but you also have this crime family, which has always been part of the DNA of Star Wars with the huts. Yep. Yep. And I I wish they would have done that. Also, let's just make this clear. Han would have been a much better person to follow if you wanted to explore the huts than Boba Fett Mm -hmm. on Tatooine. Yeah, agreed. We could have just done a mini series on Tatooine with Han. Right. Instead of Boba. And that would have been be, way better.
1: Yeah. It, uh, almost procedural in nature. You know, he's got to go on this mission. He's got to go on this smuggling yeah. run and that smuggling
2: like run. Like the bad batch. And,
1: right, exactly. <laughs> and it just sort of leads the drama is built in, right? It's just gonna for as his, for his good hearted and lucky Han is, he also doesn't there's a there's a kind of uh, drama cloud that sort of follows him around. Stuff happens because mm-hmm. he's Han Solo right. and he's going to get into trouble. And that would have been a great little six episode, two season, you know, 12 total, something like that. That would have been really fun. And right. cut crossing paths with all the different crime syndicates. Yeah, I can see that. I could really see that.
2: It would be great. You learn more about the Pike Syndicate. You yeah. Learn, you learn about Crimson Dawn. You get to see Maul in action, live action again. I think, too, you the, get this interesting
1: question of you've got the boot heel of the empire, right? Uh, you know, squeezing down on everybody. Meanwhile, there's this thriving criminal, you know, multiple criminal sy- syndicates operating within the empire. So how does that happen, right? You know, they're maintaining order and law and order, right? We're the, you know, keeping everything. But yet underneath there's this massive crime uh, network operating. And that's an interesting question. That's an interesting space to explore. How does crime arise in a totalitarian style environment? Yeah. Because they'd be servicing the Imperial officers. There'd be a lot of bribing and backhanding and, you know, all mm-hmm. kinds of using them as cutouts. You know, the Empire could use them as cutouts in all kinds of situations.
2: Right. We knew Tatooine was a little bit outside the Empire's grip in the original trilogy. Here we have this planet. I can't recall the name of it, but that they go to to refine and they go, oh, yeah, that's outside the Empire's jurisdiction. Right. right. Uh, so we know that the Empire has not gotten every planet. Um you know, you even have Han going like, it's it's funny because they kind of see that he's sympathizing with the Rebellion right away. They're like, we're the hostiles. This is their planet. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I did. I did really enjoy that they went with a lot of, OK, he's a scoundrel and he'll just he'll act like that to to do the right thing or do what's right for him. But it won't always go his way. So you have him with Sabak trying to hustle Lando That doesn't work because Lando's one step ahead of him. You have him uh, trying to, uh, what was it, Uh, blackmail Tobias in the beginning to blackmail Beckett and his crew. And they go, oh, yeah, here you go. Here's the deserter. Go feed him to the monster. Right? Go feed him to the beast. That was great. So I like that he tries it a lot and it doesn't always work. Mm -hmm. I thought that that was a nice touch because – Largely in the original trilogy, it does work except when he gets frozen in carbonite <laughs> right <laughs> Other which than that, which then, it works,
1: which were great stakes we were We were just left like, oh my lord, Han solo carbonite, oh my God, what's gonna happen? It was such a great hook right. Uh, it was amazing i I did think the a great comedy beat too was. The, uh, oh yeah, I've got 30 men over in that ship over there. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Right. So again, that's just all that lighthearted Ron Howard style comedy that,
2: you know. Right. Right. Yeah. So I, I think, I think honestly, there's not a ton to talk about here, but. Not really. Really. I, I would say I thought the casting was great. I really did enjoy Paul Bedney as. Oh, he was so good. Yeah. I enjoyed Amelia Clark as Kira. And can we just pour one out for Amelia Clark's luck? Because every big franchise that she gets a part in, whatever thing she's in ends up (laughs) not doing commercially well.
1: Getting messed up.
2: She's had solo with this. You did a great job. Did, you know, bombed out the box office you have, and I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm just saying it right, bombed at right. the box office. But you have Secret Invasion, which fell very flat, and she was great in that. An,
1: another situation where studio stepped in, oh, flipped over the the table, brought in new people to clean up the mess, and and sort of disavowed the first pass at it for for whatever reason, and then ended up with a.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: At least in Solo, they got lucky and they got Ron Howard. Right. Uh, in In Secret Invasion,
2: they did not get lucky. Right. Well, I think part of it is you piss enough people off, and nobody wants to work for you. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it goes into that whole garbage in, garbage out. Right. If you start start with a flawed premise, and you think, oh, we'll we'll fix it in post. And I think this is what Marvel was getting itself into. It' is mm-hmm. like, okay, we'll just shoot everything, and then bring it back, and we'll re- we'll rearrange the pieces. That's not storytelling. That's. I should not- add, they
2: also fired the editor in this movie. When they fired oh, the directors. Really? Yes. Right, they fired right. the original director. Um, so they really cleaned house with it. I think part of it, too, is people got a bad taste in their mouth about the studio here because yeah. they were leaking all of this. They were yeah, leaking right. that uh, they saw a cut of the film. They hated it. And they fired these directors um, and that they had hired Ron Howard because the first two directors failed.
1: And that's in Hollywood. That's that's really
2: bad. That's reputational harm, right? Super exactly, bad reputational harm, and reputational.
1: that's why whenever you see interviews with actors, oh, it was so great to work with that person. They're always everybody's saying always nice things about each other, right. regardless of what the right. truth is. It's because you don't want to blow up somebody else's situation right. or or have them come back on you later. It, it, it's very easy for because actors are always out doing promo, and studios are always trying to promote projects. So if you go trashing other people's relationships, that's just uh, and and uh, reputations. That's just bad. That's just not cool. And fine, it didn't work out. Okay, cool. But you know, yeah, you you don't intentionally blow somebody up unless they're unless there's a real situation, you know. And it
2: sounds as, like there wasn't. It sounds like there was exactly. literally just a creative vision difference.
1: And this just goes back to the the fact that I think Lucasfilm are very nervous and are, they they they're working very hard to protect their brand and in the they're they're operating out of fear rather than a creative vision.
2: Right. Right. Well, I really enjoyed everyone in this movie. I even enjoyed Beckett and and how he taught Han too well.
1: Right, yes.
2: <laughs> he taught Han really well with the whole people are predictable, the whole he he's just talking until he can get a shot in at Han, right? He's talking to get Han distracted. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and Han yeah. sees that. And he's like, all right. Shoot he's first. like, That was a good move. That was a Which good move,
1: Han. <laughs> I liked because it also gave me an echo to Cassie and Andor. Who, you know, who can make a quick decision. And in that right. situation, right, you know, he's he's gotta shoot
2: him. Right. Very episode one, right? Of Very. Andor.
1: Yeah. I, I did feel very bad for Chewbacca having to schlep all those heavy briefcases around on a desert planet when you're a fur, when you, you're a oh, creature yeah. that has a heavy, mm. thick coat of fur. They just tra- treated him like a valet, like Lurch or something. I was like, come on, man.
2: <laughs> Let me ask you something else about Chewbacca. He's 190 years old. Yeah. And he's got like an eight-year-old in the holiday special. <laughs> When was Lumpy born? Uh, Yes. I think
1: Wikipedia has a whole bio on on Lumpy. So I think that that will probably stitch it all together.
2: He's flying around with Han as a fugitive of the empire. When is Lumpy born? (laughs) I need to know. If you don't know what we're talking about, the Star Wars Holiday Special, which is now non-canon, but we're having fun with it. 45 years
1: old this year.
2: An absolute disaster. And it's so fun to watch. And it's sacrilege. so fun to talk about <laughs> and it's just chaos in a two hour movie. It's actually like 90 minutes. If you take out the commercials, you can find it on YouTube. Just look for the star Wars holiday special 1978. And we are doing a podcast on it. We already recorded it. That'll be out the week of December 5th. When this documentary about it comes out.
1: You know, what I think is the cool thing is, is that unbeknownst to us, we actually recorded it on life day on the day that it originally yeah. aired yeah. on, on television. And I think the the thing to remember about the holiday special is it was two hours of television in a format that was normal at the time, which is a variety show style. But the thing that it missed was having a host, which most variety shows would have some sort of structure to it. And and Lucas Films, Lucas himself, they were like, yeah, we got to do something. We got to keep the, the airwaves filled mm-hmm. with Star Wars content. But they were too busy working on. Yeah. Well, the Empire. execs
2: from the studio reached out to Lucas and said, can we do something with your characters? And He said, yeah, sure. Go yes, ahead. absolutely.
1: Gave him access yeah. and then walked away from yeah. it. And then they didn't know what they were doing. So, right. But it is a right. brilliant piece of um, 1970s did you, uh, hist- <laughs>
2: history. Did you see Mark Hamill tweet about it the other day?
1: No, no, I missed it. He I'm, I'm using he the dead bird site less and less. So,
2: yeah, me too. But he retweeted somebody who said, like, what's your favorite part of the holiday special? And he wrote the ending. <laughs> he said the credits.
1: <laughs> That's
2: yeah. Cute. That's yeah, cute. Well, I think we can move on here, David, to our discussion of sort of the state of Star Wars. Think that'll lead us nicely into feedback because mm-hmm. we have this movie that had a disaster of a production but ended up pretty good. Um, and it was on the heels of The Last Jedi, which was very divisive. Again, I liked it, a lot of people didn't. Um, and that's part of why it did not pull its weight at the box office, unfortunately. Again, it was also five months after The Last Jedi, you got to remember it was a May release. And it was literally five months after the last Star Wars movie. And I think people were getting a little bit of movie fatigue, too.
1: And it's disappointing because we were expecting a whole like, oh, this is going to bring the new era, the new dawn. And we're going to have right. these things called a Star Wars story, right? You know, this sort of product line where mm-hmm. they're going to pop these things out. And then.
2: Yeah, we heard an Obi-Wan was in development and then mm-hmm. that became the series. Yep. And they went to the yeah, TV route. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm I'm fine with the TV route, but not everything needs to be TV. No. So anyway, I think that we you wanted to talk about sort of how Ahsoka made you feel about the state of Star Wars last time, and uh, you you talked about that at the end of our Revenge of the Sith podcast, and then I cut it because we had to go, and I didn't want to end on a bad note. So <laughs> I'm giving you your your vehicle now to discuss how you're feeling about Star Wars.
1: Well, I think I've I've already. Let some of those feelings and uh, opinions out already in this podcast. So I don't want to belabor the point too much. I'll reiterate the fact that I think Lucas film is lacking creative vision and, a, and an artistic focus. I think part of the problem is that Disney bought Star Wars for four billion. So that's a huge line item on their books, and that needs that that monkey needs to be fed, right? That like the, that right. that you've got to have return on value for that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm I'm no corporate you know wizard with numbers or something like that, but I can certainly believe that a publicly traded company like Disney splashing out four billion dollars in cash you better see some returns on that investment and so i think what that gets into then in terms of corporate governance as opposed to creative visioning is that corporate executives who are conservative by nature are under pressure to return on that 4 billion every title that goes out has to be a hit and it's got to be a hit for the widest possible audience. We've got to scoop enough. We've got to scoop huge scoopfuls of cash every time we hit the streets with a new product. And I think when you see a, a, a film like Solo here, it's packed with stuff. It's just overstuffed.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: think that that's, that's the evidence of, of the the issue right there. And sure. I think we were kind of, you know, we were even kicking around this idea a minute ago with, you know, oh, well, you could do stuff with the, the syndicate verse and whatnot. You, you've got to what I would love to see Star Wars do is start setting up these different content tracks, maybe a little bit like Star Trek does with animated series and you got Deep Space Nine, you get some different stuff. But you could say, and Star Wars already does this with Lego and the kids stuff. They've already got a track there for that. And then you've got a little bit in the animated world for the you know, tweens. But give us the adult and/or track. you know, give us the general purpose audience track of, you know solo.
2: the The Mandalorian is great, you know, general audience kind of thing.
1: Exactly. and and settle into that fact that you've got different product lines. And actually recoup your four billion, and actually start to make a profit by doing by giving showrunners and writers the creative vision and the room to to maneuver in their lane, set up some lanes, and let people create. There are people who are so passionate about this universe and this IP, or Tony Gilroy, passionate about telling good story, and fine, let's set it in the Star Wars universe. That works but let them do their thing. Because if you if you sit on them and you give them notes and you tear it down and you, you go back and you reshoot 70 times, how many movies have we been promised that are now canceled? You know, or right. things that have been right. developed and we hear, oh, this director, that director, oh, now they're unattached and they're not signed. That movie's not getting done. I think Star Wars' leadership is in a pathetic state right now. and, and I, I
2: would agree with that. I would agree yeah. with that. I think it's a leadership problem, not a not a problem of the writers or directors as much
1: no or I, the universe i, think, I
2: right. think that they are they like you said i think they need to let them have creative vision and you know i was talking about doctor who on second breakfast so i'm i i think it has similarities and differences because it is a tv show at heart, mm-hmm. right it's more it's closer to star trek in that regard uh and it's Generally had one track. There's audio dramas and all these other deep cuts, but like generally on screen, there's one track, which is the TV show, Doctor Who, um, and there's a couple of spinoffs, but you know what I mean? Yeah. No movies except the 1981. All right. I'm done now. I'm done. Now. <laughs> but the point is, I was saying that I kind of enjoy Doctor Who more sometimes because it's willing to swing and miss. Mm, and it's willing to do something wacky and weird. right? And then sometimes it hits and sometimes it doesn't. And there are some bad episodes of Doctor Who. (laughs) (laughs) But there are some amazing episodes of Doctor Who. So you get this. And I I think it's the same way I feel about the prequels, right? Which is that the highs are just so high and the lows are so low. But I I would rather have that than have something that's so vanilla that it never makes me feel anything. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and the, the
1: vanilla-ness is, is because of this corporatization mm-hmm. and this shareholder value and, and corp- corporate executives are conservative by nature for a reason. They're trying to protect you know, the bottom line. Creatives by nature are risk takers. They're willing to take risks, just like you said with the Doctor Who stuff. They're going to they're gonna take big swings and sometimes they're going to miss. And so you have two inherently contradictory forces here. And if they're in balance, then we get amazing stuff. The matrix, right? I've, I've been on record before about the matrix an amazing mm-hmm. creative vision that had tight constraints on it and it told an incredible, you know, visual story. And then they're like, oh, here's the bags of money and go make some more for us. And then they just mushed down into nothing because they, it was out of balance. The creatives were too far away from, you know, the tight business controls. So if there, if those forces are in balance, and right now I think with LucasArts, it's out of balance. There's no for there's no balance in the force.
2: Well, I think the point is that <laughs> Star Wars in general, you know, when it began, was something seen as not going to be a moneymaker, as not safe for a corporate entity to invest in, which is why George Lucas had the rights, right? Is that he had to go do the legwork for this. This was not handed to him. And you're never going to get the high of something that's never been done before by doing the same thing over and over again, even if it was once novel. So they need to have these new ideas come in. They need to have these creatives have a little bit more space. I think that's the point. I think that's great. Um, But I, I do think that you can make good media that appeals to multiple audiences, I will say again, Doctor Who is made for kids and adults together. Mm -hmm. Um, And Star Trek, I think, to an extent too, right? I'm less familiar with that industry. But yeah, I I think that that generally Marvel, there are things that they've done well that are for both kids and adults. And I hope that they can get back to that level of quality with Star Wars. And I'll say, I want to transition to Ahsoka now because we're going to get into feedback in a second. With Ahsoka, I enjoyed seven of the eight episodes. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed seven of the eight of them and the last one didn't stick the landing and that was so disappointing for me because I wanted it to succeed because I want to be able to say I'm really loving this. I really like the full season of The Mandalorian. I really like the last season of The Bad Batch. So a lot of these things they are delivering. It's just a consistency problem and like, like I said, I, I want a little bit of inconsistency and in that I want risks to be taken, but I think the point with Ahsoka was it fell flat for me because there was no risk taken, because they went with the traditional, oh, she can suddenly do right. the thing. Right. Uh and I'm I'm I the reason I said do the thing is because I'm now going to give a spoiler warning for Ahsoka, because we're going to move it to Ahsoka feedback too. So now everything Star Wars E, you will now be spoiled. So don't <laughs> stay here if you haven't seen Ahsoka and whatnot. But all right. Now that we've done that. Having Sabine suddenly use the force, I think that was something that was very, you know, traditional Luke Skywalker in the den um, on uh, Hoth, you know, pulling up the the right. lightsaber out of the thing. It's, it's just the same story I've seen a million times, and I'd rather not see that again.
1: Right, right. And I think this goes back to a, a point that I was making before, too, which is if every project out the door has to be precious and it has to hit your you're 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 loading too much uh, expectation and value on every single property. So when something does swing and miss, then oh, my God, it's catastrophe. It's terrible. Oh, and we have to rethink our whole strategy. and whoa, whereas if we're just popping stuff out and we're kind of letting stuff fly, and this one failed and that one hit, and this one was pretty good. And wow, that one was super interesting. It was a really unique take. I think you know we would have a a richer environment, and we would feel a little bit looser about everything. I think a a Ahsoka finale, the Ahsoka finale, really was hard on the fandom because there were some people who were like, "Yeah, it's fine," you know. There's some flaws there. I take your point. Yeah, okay, no problem. And then there are other people who are like, "Wow, I'm really disappointed. It was so it, it had so much potential, and it fell on its face." And then that set up this sort of negative vibrations in the fandom, um, which is disappointing because I don't think either side was wrong, you know? No, I if, think you know, I
2: if- think the people who were really disappointed in it, like us, are very like, hey, we're disappointed in this because we want the franchise to be better. We want it to be mm. better managed. We want to hear, we want to watch more interesting stories. I want to see the story of somebody who is not force sensitive or low force sensitive, but can still do the job. I want to see the ordinary people like Cassie and Andor. And like Sabine used to be before this random I can use the forest deal. Right. So that's that's really where I was at. I really don't want to belabor this too long because we talked for like three hours on the Ahsoka (laughs) finale. Uh, Speaking of Ahsoka.
1: Yeah. And that brings in a a feedback email that we got from Christina, who was kind of upset because when we did our wrap up podcast, I think you were a little bit more agitated than I was, and and people. Yeah, were like, I milked oh. it
2: a little bit for fun.
1: <laughs> okay, and and that that set some, you know, that upset some people. That uh, that upset uh, Christine and and some other people.
2: It was profoundly divisive. I had people yeah. literally congratulating me on the Discord, and I had people like, "You are very wrong." So I yeah. <laughs> I, I apologized to those who thought I was wrong. And I thank those who congratulated me on my saltiness.
1: And I want to go back to this idea that when people complain about something, it's because they care about something. On the on for every complaint, the other side of the complaint is is a sense of caring, or you know, a sense of it could be better or it could be different. And so, yeah, it's you got to hear that as well. Um, and it, we certainly didn't mean to upset people. But we were also upset in our own sure. minds as well, and and that was an ex- it, it was being expressed, and it was trying to be expressed in a fun and jokey way, but maybe it didn't come off so jokey or you know whatever it came off, and and that hit people
2: wrong. And I think that it's important for us to say when we didn't like something because Absolutely. if we don't, then we're shills. You'll never know if yeah we're shills. you're you're never gonna know if we actually like something or not. You're just gonna be like. Well, they want screeners, so they're gonna, uh, you know, they're gonna say nice things about this, and that's (laughs) not what we're here to do. Yeah, yeah, we're not gonna do that. We are. No, we're we're gonna
1: speak our minds.
2: This is our side gig, and (laughs) we are going to just talk into the microphone like we have for the last year and a half.
1: And I think that makes for a better overall experience. Ultimately, is because we're being authentic and we're being. Um, uh, we're speaking our minds and and that's yeah. part of uh, what people want. I know when I, there are times when I go to other podcasts, I'm like, Oh, I saw this movie or this episode. I, I want to f- fix my reaction based on somebody else's reaction. That's part of what drives podcasts like our, our little cottage industry that we have. So I'll run to the ringer, or bald move or post-show recaps or, you know, you name it, oysters, clams, or whoever, you mm-hmm. go, oh, what did those people think? Oh, do I agree with them? Do I don't agree with them? Because it helps us fix our positioning in space and time and and stuff. And so if we're giving false signal on something, that doesn't do you any good. It doesn't do us any good. And ultimately, yeah, it leads to a less fun product, a, a less fun podcasting community that we have.
2: Right. Well, speaking of podcast community, we had Marilyn Arpaquila write in with the Soka Feedback. David, do you want to read it? Because my throat is not feeling great. (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) Greetings, gentlemen. Here are some thoughts in no particular order. I agree with John about Morgan. I found her to be very flat and thus had no emotional connection with her and a little understanding of why she did what she did. I think they were relying too much on assuming viewers' knowledge of the character from earlier shows. And even her appearance in The Mandalorian was not all that lengthy. Any thoughts or... Yeah, I I
2: recall not caring for Morgan that much. I think my my thoughts on Ahsoka are well-established at this point. Right,
1: okay, (laughs) we'll just keep going. Uh, John's creation of Jumping the Gap reminded me of the Norse... Oh, I can't pronounce this word that she wrote in here. -um gap. G-I-N-N-U-N-G-A-G-A-P. It comes from Norse and Germanic mythology and refers to the void in which the world is created, known to be a place of frost. Lots of space for creativity there. On the question of character arcs, I found myself wondering if we got Ahsoka's arc too soon. It was a tremendous inner shift for her, but it was pretty much wrapped up in two episodes before the season finished. Perhaps this is part of why people tend to forget how much took place for her. I also wonder if there had once been a bit more material filmed with Balin, Balin, but they decided to cut it because of the actor's death, or in order to maintain continuity with whatever changes they decided upon for the next time we pick up the story. I, I do. We have had this conversation before about length of ep- episodes. What what's good? What's what's optimal? And it's what does the showrunner want to do to tell their story, mm-hmm. not what the studio, you know, that oh, I want to I want to make twelve or fifteen studios. But says, wasn't oh, okay, there 10, production you know? drama
2: with this? Yeah, they, they were they were stretched. six,
1: and then they stretched yeah. it to eight, so they cut one, I think, two and three, yeah. or one and two, something like that.
2: They so. Yeah, so I think you could feel that, because I think episode two was kind of... Nothing happened in it, something like that. I don't remember, but uh, it's been too long since Ahsoka. We put this feedback off. If you're confused yeah. as to why you're hearing Ahsoka feedback right now, let me just say this. We said that we would do it on Revenge of the Sith, and then we had a family thing, both of us did, and we had to... Uh, you know push feedback again so now we are here doing feedback for ahsoka revenge of the sith and solo
1: yeah we were going to do this as a standalone pod but now we're doing it on solo because yeah it's just right. star wars right it's a star wars continuity
2: it's all the star wars stew stew wars
1: stew wars i picked up and you know we should watch hardware Wars sometime that would be fun
2: I'm not, doing uh, that.
1: which was a, <laughs> 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 that was a fun parody where like toasters and, uh, and irons are being dangled on strings in front of a starry background. And it's sort of, a. Uh,
2: oh, I don't uh, even know that, but I think, I do think we should add space balls to, I think uh, we should that do it in April.
1: Okay. Or April oh yeah. I like, that. I like that. That's a good one. Okay. Yeah. That's done. I picked up on an interesting though. subtle difference in speaking of the force by two masters. Ahsoka tells Sabine, to trust the force. Obi-Wan told Luke to use the force. I wonder if that's a reflection of the real world time in which each show was presented, or if it represents a difference in Filoni's philosophy vis-a-vis the force. Or perhaps it reflects the difference between Obi-Wan and Ahsoka. Okay. Yeah, uh, this is interesting. I, I don't know if there is something going on with Filoni and, and what they're telling in terms of the fourth story. But I think it's interesting to contrast it slightly. We just saw the marvels and the marvels ending. I will not spoil um, directly. I'll try to hint at it. it. Tells a story in a different way rather than uh, a loss. You have to have a loss to gain something. You can gain something by, you know, operating in a different way. And I'm wondering if Ahsoka is part of that story shift in the larger zeitgeist that saying, well, yeah, we don't have to go from this trauma standpoint of like, oh, my family was killed and now I'm a superhero. But like, yeah, stuff is tough. And, you know, we're, we're doing the best we can and let's figure out some things based on trust and and mutual cooperation and rather than you know dominance and killing or something like you know like i'm Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to get too uh um, fuzzy wuzzy here but the the idea that ahsoka represents a different style of utilization which is why she's not a jedi right she's Mm -hmm. not a jet she's not part of the jedi order regardless of whether it exists or not she was trained by
2: them Hmm? i didn't load up my sounds Ahsoka, oh, did, a Jedi. Maybe
1: <laughs> not. You'll see why. Yes, we need to. We need a more more original hits from uh, from John Moorhound.
2: <laughs> yeah, we'll see.
1: The people are missing uh, your music, John. Anyway. I don't know
2: what it is about Star Wars TV, but it gets me going for my music.
1: Well, come on, Lucas. Let's. We need more TV because we need more John to make more music. There you go. Uh, Marilyn continues regarding the elimination of the clone soldiers post Order sixty six. I think that the Emperor and or Tarkin were taken aback a bit by the very success of the inhibitor chips and realized that someone could engineer something similar to backfire against them and their rule. Hence, the obsession with the Bad Batch and the destruction of Kamino. That's an interesting theory.
2: Mm -hmm. I think also part of it is they want to have, you know, if it's just the clones, it's very easy to remove yourself from the military and feel less patriotic less you know in with the empire if your brother sister friend is being conscripted to the imperial military now oh i know a stormtrooper you know Mm -hmm. and now now you're going to be a little bit more sympathetic to the empire's cause
1: and i think uh brian 8063 had mentioned something about that too and in the history of like that's a good way to like you're saying is to Insulated. Oh, that's literally
2: in, yeah, it's in his feedback later tonight, so let's save it. <laughs> oh, it is? Okay, we have yeah, that feedback. I just, okay, I just saw that, yeah.
1: <laughs> cool, perfect. So we'll we'll get there when we get there. Uh, all right, Marilyn continues. Regarding Sabine's force energy or lack thereof, I think it's a case of the force moves as the force wills. <laughs> There's an important mystical component here. I really dislike the whole midi-chlorinization chlorinizing, uh, which is not predictable or controllable. Breakthroughs in meditation practice are similarly random. You do what you can to prepare yourself. You open up and you wait. In Sabine's case, I think it was a question of her dire necessity as well. For whatever reason, when the time came, she reached out to the force and the force reached back and that's all there was to it.
2: Yeah, but that's the problem is that when it only comes at the time you most need it, that's a deus ex machina. Right. Right. That's and it's a story force. that we've,
1: and it's, it's a story the, that's been told already. We already have had that right. story.
2: And the the force is the deity of this universe, right? That is the right. holy energy of this universe. It's right. literally a deus ex machina if the force decides to reach back at the moment she most needs it.
1: Especially when we have no hard and fast rules about how the force works or what you can do with right. the force. and. You know, force ghosts, and uh, you know, it, working with animals or lev- you know, mm-hmm. uh, telekinesis. You know, there's there's a lot of different stuff that nobody really knows how how it can be wielded or shaped or, or utilized. Right. So it leaves the mechanics wide open, which means that at any time you need something to happen, oh, it's the force.
2: Right, that is a problem. It is a problem going forward. We'll see. All
1: right, Marilyn wraps up, and so now we wait for what exactly. Film, TV series, books. I wonder if a lot of the frustration people have been expressing with the ending and the series in general is that it's over and we're left with so many questions and we have no idea how long it will take to get the answers. I that totally is a agree. Great with question.
2: That is yeah. a great point, Marilyn. I think that if they had said, OK, season two is coming in a year or two, it would feel a lot better.
1: Right. We've got the script. We've got some people, directors attached, you know, blah, blah, blah.
2: Great. But part of it was this was right in the middle of the strike. This was on.
1: True. And then, sadly, Ray Stevenson passed away. And so that adds even more of a gray cloud over an uncertain landscape. Right? So. Right. Yeah. And it it doesn't do them any. Anyway, I I don't want to keep kicking uh, Lucas. (laughs) film because I could do that all day um all right Marilyn concludes but we do know that you'll be there to discuss the answers with us when the time comes and that is a comfort
2: all the best Marilyn oh thanks Marilyn thanks Marilyn always great, great to hear time. from you we had a great
1: time on the Marvels podcast Marilyn guested uh, came in as a as a guest and and she brought in some really cool insights and that's uh, always it's always great to have her uh, around yeah. Absolutely. cool all right Next up is Eric F. I believe Eric F is a lore master, isn't he? One of our subscribers with some final Ahsoka thoughts. Hi all. First off, allow me to apologize for the length of this email. When it comes to star Wars, sometimes I get verbal or in this case, typed diarrhea L O L. So we've already established that the statues carved in the mountain that Balan is standing on are the mortis gods, at least the father, the balance of the forest, the Son, the dark, which is the dark side, and what remains of the daughter, the light side statue, which is, I think, is destroyed because the sister now resides in Ahsoka. Well, mm-hmm. the hand of the father, which Balen is standing on, is pointing to a mountain or maybe a temple. Something which a glowing flame, uh, uh, yeah, something with a glowing flame atop. Yeah, this is I got very Mordor vibes during this whole yep. <laughs> sequence yep. of
2: it. Mordor, Anakin saw familiar- Mortis. All right, I'm done.
1: Yes, exactly. Right. Uh, Anakin saw a sim- similar looking temple in the Mortis gods Ark of the Clone Wars. The temple belonged to the father. The hand of the father may be pointing Balin to the direction of his temple on Peridia. Some people say Peridia. <laughs> is it possible that the father is using the temple to imprison a very dangerous character from Legends continuity, a.k.a. the mother, a.k.a. Uh, sorry, the mother, a.k.a. Aboleth. Abeleth? A-
2: I don't know who this is, so you okay. got to just tell us, Eric F.
1: In Legends, the Mortis gods didn't always reside in Mortis. They once existed in our reality, and we cared for the mother. In Legends, the mother feared death and losing her family. She was also afraid that her family would forget her. This fear led her to drink from a dark side power called the Font of Power, And to bathe in the pool of knowledge, both acts were forbidden, which led to her becoming an immortal God, but it also corrupted her into the very chaotic and powerful dark side being very much like Eve in the Bible. When she ate, oh, Marilyn's going to, I'm curious. I would love to have the Marilyn's reaction to this Mm -hmm. Um, or Anthony's for that matter too. Um, Let's see, where did I lose my place here? Uh, very much like even the Bible when she ate of the tree of knowledge, uh, Avaloth became so powerful and dangerous that the Mortis gods had to imprison her and flee the planet. The planet they fled to may have just been Paridia. In Ahsoka, we see Zepho, a race of corrupted dark side users who fled the main galaxy, uh, ruins on the Night Sister Temple that Thrawn was standing in, in front uh in front of on Paridia in legends the zepho named kuthamir whose name also appeared that may be I'm not sure about the pronunciation of that because uh, uh, eric had a question mark about spelling there whose name also appeared in sith runes on that same night sister temple kuthamir also had a temple on dathamir and was very closely related to the night sisters Whoo! this is some deep lore we're diving deep here sure
2: yeah i, I feel like i'm in the deep end here
1: yeah. Get way your, further
2: than I know. Uh, and again, just takes it, on. if you're if you're listening and you don't know what Legends is, Legends is the non-canon track of Star Wars at this point. So when Disney bought Star Wars, they said, hey, most of what existed before now besides the mainline movies are no longer canon, and they call them Legends. So you can right. still buy them, you can still enjoy them, but they're not going to be considered part of the current canon.
1: And this is, a, yeah, in the book, mostly in the written books. So, right. All right, uh, he continues. I say all of this is part of a theory, being that, again, in Legends, the Zepho traveled to Peridia to learn about the Force. Perhaps on Peridia, something devastating happened, and the kingdom, along with the Zepho, were destroyed, causing the Mortis gods to flee. That devastation could very well have been caused by the unleashing of Aboleth. After Aboleth destroyed the planet, the Mortis gods imprisoned her between two black holes, again, Legends, Perhaps this is the equivalent of the world beyond worlds and Aboleth is imprisoned there. It does reside outside of time and space and would seem to be the perfect place to imprison such a dangerous being. The world between worlds has various portals leading to various force-sensitive planets, such as Lothal, Peridia, Dathomir, etc., possibly even Dagobah. So perhaps the voice that was calling out to Balan was the voice of Aboleth reaching out to him from the world between between worlds using the temple on Peridia. Balan could be seeking a way to control the world between worlds and is seeking that knowledge from the last living Mortis gods, Aboleth. In legends, Aboleth wanted to destroy the universe and remake it in her image. This sounds very similar to what Baelin wants to do. He wants to end the cycle and restart things. Also in legends, Aboleth has the power to possess people. Perhaps she could possess Shin. Shin may have also finally heard Aboleth and is seeking her as well. Aboleth could use Shin as her vessel to bring about her vision of Ragnarok and giving Shin the power she so desperately wants. Wow, big theory here. John. um, thoughts or ideas? Uh, I mean, it's basically just opinion at this point. What do you think of um, Eric's uh, theories here?
2: Yeah, I I like it. I think that it could be a little bit too deep for and and not deep in like people won't get deep plots but it's it's so into the weeds of established lore I don't know if Filoni will do it but I could see Filoni doing a version of this because that's something that Filoni does a lot is he takes a very complicated Legends thing and he oversimplifies it and then he puts it in his shows sometimes people love it sometimes people say hey you kind of just took something and you know nullified it a little bit but I I hope that there's something that's cool because I I love your theory here.
1: Yeah, I think it's got to be something big like this, because as you said, Balin's trying to break the cycle. He's trying to break the wheel here, and it's got to be something big like this. Uh, So I think it's interesting. We'll see, uh, but it would be fun to bring in, to go in this direction. I like the general direction. I'll say it that way. Yeah. All right. Continuing. A side note: the Night Sisters may, in fact, be drawing their power from Aboleth. It is, after all, dark side magic, and it would make sense that a matriarchal society such as the Night Sisters would worship a female Mortis god. But now that the Mortis gods are dead, the bonds imprisoning Aboleth may have weakened, and they fear Aboleth's return. Balon did say that perhaps the Night Sisters were fleeing a powder, a power greater than their own. Yep, I think all pretty consistent and yeah. All oh, I really, questions. I really
2: like this theory. The more you talk about it, it's just I'm wondering. I, th- I think that you are on the right track because I think Feloni's going to do something like this. He's just okay. going to change it up to make it a little bit more digestible.
1: Right. All right. He's wrapping up his email now. I know this is a lot of theories and speculation, boast based almost exclusively on legends of material, but. Filoni has pulled from legends frequently, and let's face it, until we get more Ahsoka theories and speculation, uh, until we get more Ahsoka theories and s- speculation is all we have. The purpose of this diatribe was to spark a conversation and theory crafting regard regarding what we'll see next. Well, I think you've succeeded in that.
2: <laughs> sure, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, you've that's a huge uh, infusion of lore and interesting thought and idea, and. and Yeah, it would be exciting to go in that direction. I look forward to thoughts, to the thoughts as well as all the content you produce. Please keep up the excellent work. As previously stated, this is the best $10 I spend each month. Take care, Loremaster Eric F.
2: Well, thanks, Eric. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. You even give us that trivia a couple Ahsoka episodes ago. So thanks for that. A lot of fun. Well,
1: I just want to... Uh, say thanks to Eric F2 for being a Patreon supporter and to all of our, our Patreon supporters. Um, it, it really, yeah, we, this is our side hustle, but there's a lot of costs involved. And so, it, yeah, it's just really great to have everybody's uh, help. And yeah, we'll talk more about Patreon at the end, but yeah, really appreciate all Yeah,
2: you. Absolutely. Aaron T writes in with a link to the Honest Trailer YouTube video. I guess this is the, the account that does a bunch of, you know, like here's a jokey trailer where we summarize the whole movie and make fun of it. uh and T says, just in case you guys didn't see it, the honest trailers take on Ahsoka is pretty on point. Did you watch this, David?
1: I did, but you know, it was a while ago. And so
2: I don't remember oh, right.
1: what it was because <laughs> we, <laughs> we didn't, uh, we didn't uh, cover the feedback in a timely fashion. So
2: I know, I know. Well, I'm going to check it out right after this, but I, anyway, take R T's recommendation and go watch it.
1: Yeah, and it's just YouTube, yeah, just Honest Trailers Ahsoka comes right up, so.
2: Yep. Brian8063, our friend and patron, uh, writes in with a follow-up comment about conscription, as we were talking about before. On the Ahsoka podcast, you were asking about patriotism in the military. I think it was related to moving from clones to non-clones in the Empire Army. The issue fits well into all the Star Wars material, so here we are. Complex question, especially in Star Wars universe, where we don't know the full situation. Clearly, the clones were all drafted into the Clone Wars, and I assume the Empire. I'm not sure after that, though. We know people were taken, but did the Empire have a draft or volunteer non-clone army? uh, Knowing this would help form the answer. However, families who do have members who serve tend to be patriotic. They share this idea that their country is special and worth fighting for. So patriotism is high. To fight a total war, patriotic enthusiasm must be high. When Sabine entered the academy, she said she trusted the empire, which alludes to her being patriotic, or maybe for economic reasons. But she left the academy demoralized. Finn also felt demoralized after serving as a stormtrooper. We don't know why he joined in the first place. In both cases, there was little left to do if you left the military service. How former soldiers are treated is an important element of society. Uh, You see that after Vietnam in U.S. history and China now. The empire saw their troopers as expendable, which is a big problem. You do have a disconnect between the government and the citizenry regarding policy. If you are in a draft army situation, it's more consequential. In a volunteer force, the effects of war may be more limited. The Civil War draft riots versus Iraq, Afghanistan during the war on terror. I will stop here and let you know if this leads to further further questions. So I, I do have thoughts on this. So there's a couple clarifying questions Brian asked that I want to answer here. I believe the original Empire Imperial Army, and I could be wrong on this so somebody could write in. I believe when they first started phasing the clones out, they said hey, we're going to offer great benefits, great pay. Come join the, the Imperial Army. Come become a storage trooper. I think that originally it was that. Then after a while, when that sort of got exhausted, by the time you get to Finn, well, Finn is, Finn is not even an Imperial soldier, right? Finn is a, uh, is a First Order soldier. I believe they were actually like abducting children and whatnot because I don't think Finn actually knew who his parents were.
1: Right, right. Some it, sort Finn of
2: got his name from his number, right? It was like FN mm, something. I think so yeah, right. Yeah, so I think I think it changed quite a bit over time. And again, the first order, it's like it is the empire, but it's not the empire. So I, we can't draw as many parallels. But who knows? David, any thoughts?
1: Yeah, just this idea that it's a way to bind the citizenry to a, uh, a government's uh, op- you know policies and and. um Forays into into war and and uh, you know using military might as a, a form of, of policy, yeah, it, it makes sense in a lot of ways. Uh, people are going to feel patriotic and got to support you know little Jimmy and you know little Janie out there on the front lines doing their bit for for us, right? Right? So right. it works.
2: I get it. My brother uh, served as a Marine, and uh, we went down to South Carolina for his graduation from boot camp. And uh, we went to a restaurant nearby and somebody handed him a phone card and was like, thank you for your service, son. And it just really like having the military around really does create this sense of patriotism that I, I think that the empire really relies on in the early empire states. It's why it took 30 years for the rebellion to really get going.
1: Right, right. and Yeah, and it's it's interesting because in at least in the history and the culture of the United States of America post Vietnam, we really went the other way. And so we, we stumble over ourselves to, you know, thank our, our service members and our veterans. Whereas post Vietnam, the the opposite happened. And so it does inoculate to some degree, you know, criticism or critique of, do we really need another billion dollar bomber or this or that? It's like, well, you're not being patriotic, right? Well, there's, there's,
2: (sighs) There's complicated thoughts about it now, right? Which is like, right. hey, maybe if we respect our soldiers, we don't send them to wars that they know to fight. <laughs> there's uh, that. That's, there's there's very, let's not debate the morality of war or wars no. here. But <laughs> the point is, yes, Brian, thank you. Having this volunteer army is probably helping the empire keep a hold on these worlds.
1: Yeah. And then All I right. think, was it, was it Marilyn previously who said that well, what if, you know, what if somebody got a hold of the Order 66 inhibitor chip uh, sure. control yeah. software and flipped everybody off, you know, flicked the right. switch? And then, yeah.
2: Brian. Right. Yeah. Good question. Good question. Not great there. All right. Thank you, Brian. Always great to hear from you. Eric F. is next. Uh, which is, uh, yes, again, <laughs> but this time talking about Vader and Grand Moff Tarkin. Hey, guys, Eric F. says. Hey, Eric, again. First off, allow me to apologize for not sourcing my Vader info. Everything that I spewed forth was from from literally decades of reading comics, books, etc., video games, internet articles, including Wikipedia and YouTube videos. While some of the info may no longer be canon, as John pointed out with Starkiller, it makes interesting headcanon for me, so I'm running with it. This is from a previous uh, feedback, so don't worry about that if you don't know what we're talking about. Now on to the next. First, I heard you refer to Tarkin as Grand Admiral. Tarkin is actually a grand moff. Oh. <laughs> which <laughs> according to Wikipedia is lower. Thess- grand Moffs oversaw <laughs> the <laughs> what'd you say? Thessal. Oh, Thessal. Thessal. Thess- uh, I thought you were saying <laughs> I thought you were saying asshole, which oh. <laughs> I thought well, you <laughs> You're were you like, referring what? to space balls.
0: Oh. Okay. When
2: there you know everyone around me is assholes all right if you we'll 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 get to it in april in april yeah anyway uh so he's a grand moff grand moffs oversaw the day-to-day operations of the empire while grand admirals commanded the military they were the proverbial sword and shield of the empire which sidious would obviously value more as for tarkin's feeling towards clones troopers it is stated in the Bad Batch that he disliked clones for two reasons. One, he questioned their loyalty without their inhibitor chips, which he was obviously correct about. He believed that conscripted soldiers were more dedicated to the Empire. Second, clones were more expensive than it conscripted troopers. Tarkin would rather repurpose those resources to other projects, mainly the Death Star. Lastly, my headcanon can totally see Tarkin using a conscripted troopers loved one as leverage to ensure their loyalty there you go there uh right, so i we're think getting a lot gone... of consistency here right in this in the right i think i've gone long enough very much looking forward to your future podcast keep up the great work gentlemen lore master eric f eric always a pleasure hearing from you i think we're on the same page on the conscripted or perhaps volunteer soldiers uh, and good to know about Tarkin. i I uh, like Tarkin in the Clone Wars too, where he's kind of I think I got confused because I think he is an admiral in the Clone Wars, and now you're gonna tell me next uh, next episode that he's not. So <laughs> it's fine.
1: But it, it's interesting too about Moth versus Admiral because I didn't know I didn't understand that distinction. I didn't realize that Moth is something different as opposed to just sort of some generic rank or honorific. It's a specific it's like a, a baron versus a, a Duke, right? Mm. It, it, they have specific structure and meaning to them.
2: Exactly. There you go. He's either on or moff. Doove seventy one. <laughs> re, your Return kids Revenge are going to hate Sith.
1: you with your dad jokes when you when they get older.
2: Well, the good news is that they don't you, talk but... well enough to understand them yet.
1: <laughs> cu- Doove
2: seventy one. Re Return of the Sith. Revenge of the Sith. Hi, David. Hi, John. Return I of do. the Sith. Return of the. I, I said I said it correctly Revenge the second of the time. Jedi? <laughs> Yeah, it's I've some, it's some movie. Mind. We're getting punchy. R-O-T-J. We're getting punchy. Firstly, thanks again for organizing the live watch. It's a great way to connect with other patrons. And it was great to join last night and have a few others in the chat. Marilyn even jumped on for five minutes. All great stuff, guys. Yeah, that was fun. I, that was the ruins of the Sith live, live watch. You and I were chatting with Doob most of the night.
1: Yep. And then we did a live watch for solo and then what up next is gonna be Rogue One. That should be a good one. I think we'll do that in yeah. January sometime. Yeah. I don't so, think yeah, we're we gonna do. live
2: watch the holiday special, right? Because we uh what? it's a little tricky with what? the I'm planning my entire
1: holiday series around that. I see my whole Okay. Life.
2: All right. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. All right. I'm not a great fan of the prequels, mainly due to how fond my memories are of the original trilogy and how they are inextricably linked with my childhood. I can remember being so excited for The Phantom Menace, the trailer gave me chills, but then when it landed, it was a bit of a clunker. For many reasons, one of them being the mind-blowing The Matrix premiering the same year, The Phantom Menace, just really disappointed. This then got a bit compounded with some of the more clunky storytelling and dialogue in Attack of the Clones. Saying that, though, Revenge of the Sith is hands down my favorite prequel, and it has some of the most iconic scenes and story that resonates throughout the Star Wars universe. Yeah. This is true. This is true. Yeah. I love the movie. I love all the
1: of the of the prequels, it is the strongest, it's the most consequential, it's the most mature isn't is mature the right word? Maybe the most developed or coherent. Sure. You know, like it it just really felt like it knew what it was trying to do and it did it.
2: Well he had finally decided what he wanted to do with Jar Jar. So that really made the movie (laughs) once he decided that Jar Jar should be a senator moving on (laughs) rather than autopsy the plot and film i thought it would i would focus my feedback on the section of the movie that gets me stoked every time it comes on and that is the final fight between anakin vader and obi-wan i found it a very exciting and dramatically important section of the film and due to my long association with the original trilogy i had imagined the fight between our two protagonists for probably 25 years with rewatches, especially after the Clone Wars, the emotional resonance of the conflict between these characters takes on a much greater level of significance. The dynamic between Obi Wan and Anakin has always been a little fraught. They are the traumatized siblings who lost their father figure when Qui Gon was killed by Maul. It was further complicated by Obi Wan being an- obligated to train Annie after giving Qui Gon his promise as he lay dying. Add in the whole Chosen One. And Annie being a precocious brat, I said it. It was a very complicated recipe for their relationship.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with this. Obi-Wan was not equipped or prepared to handle Anakin.
2: He literally really took his night. He was a Padawan when he met Anakin. Right. He took his night test at the very end of the movie when they're like, <laughs> hey, you're ready. Go ahead. That's not enough time you, no you went from trainee to trainer right then
1: yeah and that's where the the more frater- their relationship was more fraternal you were my brother right you know you're my chosen one
2: right you know yeah like, and i i it- did like i did like that they did that rather than having him be like you were like a son to me because i don't i don't yeah. think he was i don't no. think he was yeah and that was the problem is annie needed a parent and mm-hmm. he, and he did not need a big brother
1: and to be a parent to Anakin, were big that that would have been big shoes to give him enough room to to grow and to feel important and consequential and to feel his powers, but also keep him firmly pointed in the right direction. That is a tall order for anyone. And uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Obi Wan. Sam, Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, okay.
2: Mace Windu.
1: Uh, Mace Windu. Yoda like there was just nobody on the council who was a wanted to do the job so they're like, oh we don't know what to do with this kid we didn't want the kid in the first place and, and B nobody you know who had the stature to to do the work the day to day the day in and day out work of keeping Anakin pointed firmly in a direction
2: right. As Anakin is being groomed by Palpatine, who chooses, of course, to be the grandfather because he doesn't want to be the dad anyway, to turn (laughs) his big brother, little master, little brother, master, apprentice dynamic with Obi-Wan, heightens the conflicted feelings, the resentment. And we see that repeatedly in sulky Annie pouting to Padme about how he is more powerful than Obi-Wan and how unfair it is. Uh, Cringing just
1: listening to the description. Uh, I can hear him
2: having flashbacks to our kids being young teens. I'm having flash forwards. Lucas was probably leaning into the whole Kane and Abel. I scrolled fast and I thought it said Kanye. And I was like, are we doing that? All right. The whole Cain and Abel aspect of this relationship. And it was inevitable that Anakin would have to confront and kill Obi-Wan once he began his descent to the dark side. Interesting. Interesting. I don't know. I, I almost thought that Anakin wanted him to join him. I think sure. he would have loved for for Obi Wan to join him. I don't I don't think that Anakin was as jealous as Obi of Obi Wan as, as you think, I think. Uh right. Dove. Right. I don't I didn't see them as jealous. I thought he was more like mourning their relationship. Mourning who he wanted Anakin to be.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then Anakin's just trying to get out from under and just have people, you know, relate to him as uh, um, a consequential person who's, you know, has impact and and import. And um, he's trying to get out of his little kid shoes that everybody keeps putting him in.
2: You will try. Uh, The fight choreography is just amazing in this and kudos to both the actors. And I would imagine their stunt doubles for giving it 110%. We see two of the most powerful and experienced Jedi of the Clone Wars era going toe-to-toe, and it's genuinely gripping, even as you know what the outcome will be. The location of Mustafar is brilliantly realized and is probably the best use of fully CGI'd environments of the entire prequel trilogy. Definitely agree on that. Add into that mix the haunting music from John Williams and with the Battle of the Heroes. Just up there with the main theme, Imperial March and Duel of the Fates, as the pinnacle of Star Wars orchestral themes. Yeah, the music in this scene is incredible. Ah, da, da. Great, mm. great stuff. When you get Anakin's inevitable hubris and Obi-Wan's almost casual ending of the duel, it just hits really hard when Obi-Wan states how betrayed he feels, how he loved Anakin as a brother, and how could he have thrown everything away. Ewan McGregor justifies his inclusion in, in the universe and it was here that he totally he moved totally beyond a take on the alec guinness portrayal and made obi-wan his he is on fire as well as vader (laughs) and hits you with real grief for the brother he no longer has Mm. yeah it's it really is heartbreaking because you Mm -hmm. have you you really do know that obi-wan would rather anakin right here be like hey I'm really sorry for what I did. Can we go back? <laughs> and they just go off into exile together and they save people. But that's just not going to happen. No. Phew. That's some premium quality filmmaking right there and shows what the prequels could have been with some more input from a skilled writer and producers who weren't wed to the creator of the franchise. <laughs> <laughs> I only got four hours sleep at the end, and I am about to have my mum over for Sunday. Some people say so that, that wasn't a typo? That's a real thing? Yeah,
1: kip. It means taking a, a nap thing. or sleep. Yeah.
2: That's not a thing. You know what? You Brits make shit up all the time. I only <laughs> got four uh, hours of he kip. Was,
1: he, he was really knackered the next day.
2: In the end. I see. I thought this was a typo. I, I
1: can't.
2: <laughs> That's and why I said sleep. Knackered means tired. I went with context clues, but okay. I get I, all right. Uh, and I'm about to have my mum over for a Sunday dinner so am now slightly punchy. Have a great one, guys. We'll skip solo, not that I don't like it, and instead go all in on my favorite Star Wars movie, second only to Empire Rogue One. May the Yay. force be with you, Duve71 Stew. Thanks, Stu. Thanks, Duve. Always a pleasure hearing from you. And thanks for all of your support and all your uh your chatter on here and on on Twitter and on on uh, the Discord. Love having you around.
1: We'll have to be I think when we get around to scheduling for Rogue One, we've got to make that a, a, a friendly one in terms of timing and date. And I think that'll be probably one of the more popular live watches. So
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Lorehound Connor M. Uh, David, John, I'm just getting caught up on your Ahsoka content. I'm currently listening to your episode on episodes one and two. You both have a brief interaction talking about how you don't understand how the Sisters use the dark side, but aren't corrupted by it. I wanted to explain some info as well as some headcanon. Oh, using some of George's info as well as some headcanon. George explained Lucas, that is, explained that the light side is the pure natural form of the force. The balance is totally the light side. The dark side is a forced pun intended corruption of the light side, subduing it to your will. He also explained that doing so will inevitably corrupt you. Right. So that's what they have to do. The kyber crystals, right? Is that uh, John?
2: Yeah, that's. I think that the kyber crystals, like from your use of the dark side, they take on the red. It's not necessarily like a choice. Oh, not
1: that you you force the yeah. crystal, right? Okay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, headcanon time. I would say that the Night Sisters are using the dark side. However, they are corrupting it in a truly unique way that affects them, but not detrimentally. The dark side of the Force is like torturing the light side and forcing it into slavery. The Night Sisters' magics are like a very seductive voice subduing the light side, but in a more polite way. Hopefully, you can see the difference <laughs> between the two. Just wanted to share my thoughts.
2: Boy, oh, boy. Do it's, you have uh, thoughts
1: on Connors?
2: I have no idea. I I genuinely have no idea. I mean, maybe that makes sense, but they they don't have lightsabers, so we can't see if they're orange like Balin.
1: That's <laughs> true.
2: I uh, mean, only only Ventress had a lightsaber, and she was a Sith too, so that mm-hmm. would not count. I don't know but this
1: this idea that the Force is this you know energetic feeling and or or, or energetic power source, and then that depending on all kinds of factors to be able to bend it to your will or tap into it different way based on your unique uh, existence or a school or a a discipline. That's kind of the way that I've always gone with it. It's just sort of a big untapped energy. The fact that it is say on balance, more a positive thing. And so you have to be uh, intentionally corrupting it to, you know, use it for the dark side. I think that's more interesting than just having a a dualism of a you know a good and a yeah. bad.
2: Yeah, right. George you know, Lucas has said, as as you said here, Connor, that the light side is the balance. Right? Is that is that balance in the force means light side, not necessarily equal dark and light side. Right. So uh, I I want to push back a little bit now that I'm thinking about it. Is sure. Yeah. There is. A novel called Dark Disciple, which is canon. And Ventress trains Quinlan Voss, who's a Jedi in it, in how to use the Night Sister type of dark side. And he goes to the dark side. Like he goes through a, a time where he's corrupted by it. So okay. I don't think that it's necessarily the night sister magic itself that is turning them to the dark side. You could argue, though, that because she was Sith, she probably taught him more than just the Night Sister stuff. So I think it's debatable still.
1: Right. Interesting. Well, you know, rich story ground if they decided to ever, you know, be creative in that
2: regard. Well, they supposedly are with the accolade coming out next year. Oh,
1: God, please. Fingers crossed. All yeah. right. Uh, Marilyn writes in again regarding Revenge of the Sith. Hello, David and John. It was fun to reminisce with you about the third prequel film. I'm pretty much in agreement with everything you said, though. It's been a while since I've watched it and i would forgotten a number of things. So this was This email is in regards to our podcast uh, about revenge following the live watch. When comparing the prequels to the other films and particularly to the first three films that come out, i.e. four, five and six, it's important to remember the passage of time and the ways our expectations shift depending on uh, depending upon when we actually jumped into the Star Wars River, as it were. The thing to remember about 1977 Star Wars is that it was utterly unlike anything we'd ever seen before, and we knew that it would change everything in film. And I think this uh, claim pretty much holds to this day. So in a sense, to compare what we now know as A New Hope with any of the other films, particularly on the basis of things like storyline or dialogue, it's not quite apples and oranges, though in a way it is. We're so focused on the other things, particularly visuals and sounds, music, and our expectations for things like dialogue were so different than just some ramblings from someone from yet another decade. <laughs> fair so enough. It, yeah, it's a fair call, right? I mean, he he threw it out. He didn't expect that this was going to go do what it did. And it, it makes for, I think, an ultimately interesting comparison of the decades, the sensibilities, the techniques of filmmaking, which is why I almost don't like it when I turn on and I see like, say a, original star, the original star Trek series, and they've redone all the graphics and they, you know, the planets and the ships and the, all the stuff or in, or remastering star Wars and changing the explosions and, you know, adding more street scenes and Tatooine. Because it's it's contemporizing it when part of, at least for me, what I want is the transport back in time. I want to reach back to another time and hear how they thought and what they thought and 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 how they mm. expressed that in the individual medium. So, yeah, I don't like m- tinkering this. If you want to reboot it and, and reshoot it and do the whole thing, great, fine that's a that's a whole different thing. But modernizing older films, I think does a disservice to us because it then takes us out of the time traveling perspective.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Agreed. Agreed. I think we should leave things intact.
1: Marilyn continues. I think that in the sequel trilogy, Luke almost killed his nephew out of guilt that he could have let him get so far into the dark without noticing. I also think that Obi-Wan turned on Anakin out of guilt his own Padawan after all. And I agree that it was very dark for Obi-Wan to leave him on the lava field to suffer such agony. The plot kind of forbade him from killing the future Vader. So what else could he do?
2: Yeah, I guess, I guess the only other thing you could have do is you could do is give someone else the job of dismembering him. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I I, I mean,
1: Hey, droid kill that guy.
2: Yeah. I, I No, I just mean like, you, the, as the writer give a different character oh, that job mm-hmm. not uh not not open <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah i think if, if you're gonna leave vader alive that's really all you could do
1: but then it sets up a moral that moral conundrum right if you could have stopped uh you know the worse, uh, uh you know somebody who's committing unspeakable horrors on the world you know should you stop them you know if okay. you had the chance right i'll it's that, i'll uh, it's a trolley problem thing
2: I'll head Canon for you, um, giving Obi-Wan more absolution for this. Let's let's have Obi-Wan carry Anakin back to the ship, put him in a med bay. They get hijacked. They kidnap Anakin. Obi-Wan narrowly gets away. But that's another half hour to the movie. <laughs> that's almost a whole other movie, right? You cliffhanger right. that. Right.
1: You cliffhanger that. You, you see him loading him onto the ship and then you roll credits. On the question of precedence for Order 66, someone in the Discord already mentioned the Night of the Long Knives, Hitler's extrajudicial killings to prevent an imagined coup by the brown shirts in Germany. I would also point out that there are a number of other believable parallels, parallels, particularly in Scotland, the Black Dinners of 1440 and 1692 and the Glencoe massacre, also of 1692, I think that those two dinners were also models for the Red Wedding in Game of Thrones. Yeah, All right. Some interesting um, historical comp- or comparisons.
2: Yeah, I guess. I guess what's crazy about the Star Wars one is the scale, and and I mean, of course. See, I don't know the Night of Long Knives. I'm not sure how many people died in that, but in the in the Star Wars Order 66, it was about 10,000 Jedi.
1: Right. And Night of the Long Knives too was, I think, largely an internal. Do you call it a push, uh, a push, a p u t c h? Is that I'm trying to rack my brains here. Um, but it was an internal purge. It was as much as an internal purge as it was an external yeah. thing. So yeah. So Order Sixty Six is an internal purge. So it
2: right. Imports. Yeah. All right. All right. I like that. And Order Sixty Six. Like I
1: mean, how do you do Order Sixty Six galaxy wide? That's a pretty incredible. Transmitters, repeaters, whatever, it doesn't matter. Technology. Sure. Yeah. Wave your hands. It's magic. It's all magic in the end. I have always hated what they did to Padme. She started out as a classic folktale hero, a young girl or woman setting out on her own, determined to accomplish her goals and accepting aid from anyone who would give it to her to the fairy tale trope of the dead mother. While I realize that there are examples of medical death by heartbreak, the imagery was just too strong, drawn from that literal, literal, literally fairy tale tradition. And I grieve for the loss of that bold, courageous young woman who was committed to her peoples and always chose peace first whenever possible. They mm-hmm. really did Padme wrong. Yeah. Completely wasted a talented actor and uh-huh. a good story character yep. and the whole thing.
2: Yeah, it's really a shame what they did. Although Natalie Portman says she'd be willing to come back. So okay. let's hope that uh, that happens eventually. Because she's a lot better in the Clone Wars. The character, I think that they're you know they they did develop a lot of that. She's always trying to make peace with the separatists and whatnot. She like goes through back channels and talks to somebody. Is like, hey, can we get you on our side? You know, can we talk about some kind of peace treaty? Um, and then of course, Palpatine is still scheming though, right?
1: Uh, Wrapping up, can't wait for the next two. I loved Solo and could not understand the negativity of the critics, professional and otherwise. And I will go on record saying that Rogue One is probably the best of all Star Wars films, superseded only by that one unforgettable original 1977 experience, which I will always consider to be the first Star Wars film, whatever names of the numbers they give it. May the force be with you, Marilyn. Rogue One ranking high in
2: the... I know Feedback the hyperdrive is, is getting the hyperdrive. Maybe that's what we should call it. The hyperdrive is getting really high here.
1: Getting hot here. We're going to inject yeah. some uh, coaxium. Uh, co- coa- oh, God. Now my brain is <laughs> coaxium. <laughs> coaxium. Thank you. Into our uh, into our
2: intake manifold. And you're and giving me a hard time about vessel Run. In- <laughs> Come on now. Invert
1: the flux capacitor. Figuring Dan B closes us out. Solo is so good. Got an undeserved bad rap. I think it captures the spirit of the OG 77 movie. Maybe more than anything to come out since the return of the Jedi.
2: I think that's a pretty good take on like, yeah, it's it is. It is very close to 77 in the vibe of like, it's kind of lighthearted, but kind of serious. And there's Mm -hmm. really stressful moments. But most of the time you're like, okay, everything's going to turn out okay. Um, and there are there are twists and turns that you know, having Alderon be destroyed is a pretty shocking moment in seventy seven. Yeah, but you also have here, you know, Kira's betrayal is another shocking moment here, and you know the the you room don't tell where me everyone, you everyone that betrays coming, everybody. Though. Oh yeah, I one hundred percent. It was coming right. from a mile away. She's like, I'm not. A, I'm I'm owing this, and again, that's another thing. Like we never got the answer of like what did she owe the Crimson Dawn, but sure. Whatever whatever
1: well but that's part of the mystique and that's part of the inch i don't always need answers for everything in that regard so
2: all right all right david we've done another star wars film fest podcast and uh i think think it was fun i think it was fun good shall we do an outro
1: we should uh and just to say star wars at the lorehounds.com join us on the discord uh, we have, we'll probably be looking at Rogue One in January, probably,
2: mm-hmm. of
1: the new year. So, But you'll have the holiday
2: special to tide you over in December. That's right.
1: A very fun and delicious thing. And then, of course, there is this new book and movie or documentary about the making of it, uh, which will be released on December 5th. Uh, so that's great timing.
2: Cool. Very cool.
1: What's going on in the world of our affiliates? Alicia on the Wool Shift Dust channel and Properly Howard movie reviews.
2: Alicia's right in the middle of Beacon Twenty Three. That mm-hmm. is the uh, the Hugh Howie series. If you liked Wool Shift Dust, if you like the uh, Silo, Silo show, you'll probably like this. Uh, she's doing that. I know she and I are going to do something with the doctor who specials. We're not sure Better. how many podcasts we're going to, going to do on it, but I'm hot on doctor who right now. I think Alicia is too. I think yep. we're gonna have a lot of fun with that. Uh, we also did a fall of the house of usher podcast and she did more coverage on her feed. So go check that out in the show notes.
1: And her and Luke are picking up Dune again now. And now oh, they are. A, yeah. We've got an updated Dune release movie, uh, date for Dune Two: the Villeneuve. It's going to be on the first of March. They brought it up two weeks. And her and Luke uh, are getting back into sync and they're going to start rolling out their uh, coverage. I think it's probably going to be sort of like a one, um, one a month type of podcast release cool. on, on doing the whole 360 of Dune, you know, video games and all these sort of adaptations and other documentaries and, and just giving a wider historical context for right. what we're going to see on screen. Right.
2: Well, cool. I'm glad to hear that because uh I know nothing about Dune as you know.
1: <laughs> too many too many what? Too many uh too, d- many, ways, words, too many words,
2: too many I always put the wrong the, the wrong emphasis on the on the wrong <laughs> syllable.
1: <laughs> so, syllable. <laughs> Is the quiz at Tatarak. And I got stick for from Wheel of Time folks for not being able to remember all the names, so <laughs> a little yeah. fair play here in the Dune world.
2: Yeah, I I just I can't take seriously Willy Wonka in the desert. You know, it's just (laughs) it's just an issue for me. All right. Uh, Properly Howard is on break, but they have a full season of remakes that you can watch. And they are on the severance feed that we are sharing with them. They're covering the full season one. You can get, I think, the first six episodes now might be seven by the time this comes out. And um, we will be on season two. We will be covering season two with them. That'll be a lot of fun. And you can only get our podcast over there about severance or on the Patreon if you're a patron. Right. So just but search
1: "Lorehound severance and you'll find the the feed.
2: Yes. Yes. A- and be. there's a
1: link in the show notes as well.
2: Yep. 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 So get, definitely go subscribe to that if you want our severance coverage and you are only on the public feed.
1: Of course, we did the holidays. I was going to say we did the holiday special with him as well for the Star Wars. So yes. that will be out in December on yeah, our So feed. If you
2: liked them, if you liked them on the holiday special, you'll like them on. Severance. Anyway, for us, we've got a few things coming. Uh less so the next month, but I think we're going to pick up the pace in January with a couple things. Uh, we have, you know, Earth Sea is going, Silmarillion Story is going. We just put out another episode. We've got Second Breakfast is gonna be going, holiday special, as we've been talking about this entire podcast. <laughs> I think it Alicia is and I are gonna do
1: Napoleon we might do a one shot on the Napoleon film okay cool she's gonna see that so I think that'll be fun yeah um and then John and I Jean and I were talking you know maybe doing something quick on Monarch maybe just to dip our toes and check it out so I don't know
2: and then Marilyn and I are cooking up something possible for Christmas so we'll see okay we'll see if uh something's in the oven
1: so it's gonna be a buffet table it's gonna be a holiday buffet table Uh, and and we're going to see, see, there's gonna be lots of things out on there for you. Uh, definitely our second breakfast podcast, which is our year in wrap up where we rank our top 10 films and that'll be, uh, publicly available to everyone. Normally that's a Patreon exclusive, but Hey, you know, in under your tree or stocking or however you might celebrate the solstice winter solstice holidays, it is our gift to you. It's a bit of fun uh, to look in behind the thing.
2: Once Mariah Carey starts defrosting to sing All, All I Want for Christmas, <laughs> our Patreon <laughs> it. exclusive Second Breakfast goes public for the one That's one right. time a year. It's our That's Christmas right. gift to our public listeners. That's
1: right. And then in uh, 2024, we'll we'll keep you guys updated. There's a lot coming out. Uh, the schedule is starting to fill up. We've got to figure out what we're going to do. Severance, for sure. Season two. And then in terms of television shows, we've got
2: some things yeah, to we've decide. Got, we've got a couple things kicking around, right? So we'll yeah. we'll make some decisions internally and let you know what we're covering. If you are like really into something coming in the early part of the year, vo- voice it now while we're still making decisions. Right, exactly. So on the Discord or something. Uh, Send us an email, whatever you want. Just uh, let us know what you're thinking. Yeah,
1: everyone. Cool. All right. Well, uh, should we give a shout out to our Patreon lore masters? We have a Patreon. It's a great way to support us if you like what we do and all the different projects that we have and to support all of our other co-hosts too, because, you know, they get to share in a little bit of this. And we've got Mm -hmm. three levels and uh, we offer annual memberships, which give a discount. So like as little as. 30 i think 33 us dollars for a year you get ad free access to all of this and to second breakfast and other exclusive content but to our lore masters we are uh, top tier we always like to give a named shout out so john would you please do the honors
2: so martian cyrus mark h michael g michelle e david w brian p nick w sc peter oh Bettina w adam s Nancy M, Lavinia T, Duve71, Brian 80, 63, Frederick H, Sarah L, Gareth C, Eric F, Matthew M. Sarah M. DJ Miwa, Andra B. Kwang Yu, Laura G, Deadeye Jedi, Bob, Nathan T, Alex V, Aaron T, Sub Zero, Aaron K, and Adrian, who has requested to always be last on the list. And <laughs> no one else has asked that. No no one else yeah. is trying. So there you go.
1: Yeah. it's yours forever uh thank you all so very much we really appreciate all your support i mean this is an amazing group of of names they've stuck with us and uh, we appreciate you we appreciate everyone on in patreon isn't your thing totally cool we're just glad to have your listens so
2: absolutely all right john david pleasure talking solo with you and learning about the kessel run (laughs) learning about the dice and now he's he's alone, so he's solo. Yeah.
1: <laughs> there you go. And looking forward to Rogue One. That'll be fun.
2: See you then. The Lorehounds Podcast is produced and published by the Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash the Lorehounds. And connect with us on Twitter at the Lorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening.
0: A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning.